It's good to see all of your smiling faces today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians, one of the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote. We're going to start there this morning, and and this is a a topical message today. Generally, we've been working our way through the Minor Prophets. We're going to take a one-week break from doing that, and we're going to concentrate on the heart of the Christian mother. And I think back of all of the experiences and the lessons that I've learned from my own mom in my own life, and I'm so grateful for her. And uh, as a church, we are grateful for the mothers that we have here at Grace Life Church. And so uh, our children and our grandchildren are growing up in a world that has gone crazy or has gone uh, absolutely mad And so, as I was working through my message this week, I I thought, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach a message that um, is directed at mothers, but it's something that all of us will be able to learn from, and I hope grow from, and we'll all be able to apply the principles that uh, we'll be sharing today from God's Word, but. Because the world has gone crazy, seemingly crazy, uh, this is where our moms and our dads come into play. And uh, I know that our moms and dads hopefully desire to mold their image, their children in the image of Christ. And I was thinking this week that parenting is already a tough job, right? But it's getting, it's getting tougher. And so we want to concentrate our attention this morning on the heart of the Christian mother. And I'm not sure if you know this or not, but the word mother or mothers appears in the Bible almost 300 times. And interestingly enough, the, the word mother-in-law appears 11 times. Uh, we have uh, three really good adult Sunday school classes that are going on right now, and one of them is on the Kings and Chronicles. And it's very interesting that when listing the various kings in those books of the Bible, the, the phrase, and his mother was, is mentioned 20 different times. Even today, the reality is that much of our identity is associated with, with who our mom is. So we find the special influence of mothers mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 44, where we read the phrase, as is the mother, so is her daughter. And so God places a great deal of importance on motherhood. And so with that in mind, I want to begin today by giving you uh, what should be three goals of every Christian mother. What should be three goals of every Christian mother? And the first, if you're taking notes this morning, the first goal of every Christian mother is that she should desire to share her faith with her children. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, we find that Timothy's mother and grandmother were two great spiritual influences in his life. And as the Apostle Paul wrote to his dear son in the faith, Timothy, he said, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. And so a Christian mother should desire with all of her heart to essentially reproduce herself in the lives of her children. So with that in mind, the second goal of every Christian mother should be to train her children in the things of God. 
And I want to spend some time on this this morning. I think this is really where the rubber meets the road as it relates to our parenting of our children. Sharing our faith with our children is where we must start, but we we must also train them in the ways of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he grows old, he will not depart from it. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20 says, My son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says that parents are to nurture along their children in the instruction of the Lord. Why? Because we need to prepare our children for the battle that they are facing or the battle that they will face in this world. And that battle is primarily a battle for their minds. For instance, our kids are being inundated with the mantra of critical race theory. They're being told that abortion and homosexuality are acceptable choices. And while we are certainly to love our neighbors as ourselves, our our children and our grandchildren need to know that the Bible is not silent on these issues. We are always to speak the truth in love, but we are to speak the truth as God's people. In the sight of God, abortion is not a woman's choice. It is the murder of an unborn child. And homosexuality is not an alternative lifestyle. It's an egregious sin that's addressed in Scripture. So egregious, by the way, that in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9, the Apostle Paul clearly says that those who practice homosexuality will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I must say that critical race theory is not of God. It's of the devil. Look, I don't know a single true Christian who doesn't abhor the sin of racism and personal favoritism. Just this morning, I reread again James chapter 2 that speaks very clearly of the Christian's responsibility not to be a respecter of persons, not to show personal favoritism. So we abhor the sin of racism. But contrary to those who advocate for critical race theory, life is not to be looked at through the prism of skin color or ethnicity. And by the way, there aren't many races. There are one, there's one race, the human race. And all people are made in the image of God. And all people are responsible to God as their creator. So our worth is not in superficial things like skin color, but in the reality that we've been created in the image of God. But those who embrace critical race theory claim that there is a systemic racism embedded in our American society. And if you are a light-skinned person, you are a racist, whether you know it or not. And that's just not categorically true. And by the way, we don't answer to a corrupt and sinful society. We answer to God Almighty. And in a world of CRT, there are two groups. There are the oppressors and the oppressed. For example, and we've seen this, if a lighter-skinned law enforcement officer shoots and kills a darker-skinned citizen in the line of duty, CRT proponents immediately jump to the conclusion that it must have been racially motivated and is therefore unjust. And it's these broad-brush presuppositions that ignore personal sin and responsibility before a holy God. And so 
This gives the appearance of some sort of a righteous and noble ideology, but CRT is a poisonous worldview that is antithetical to Scripture and should be rejected by the Christian. This is what our children are being inundated with as they live their lives in a completely different world than we grew up in. I've written more extensively on all of this, and we'll have copies of my articles available at the Welcome Center for those who would like them. But the greater point is, the greater point is that we can't allow the world to train our kids or to indoctrinate our kids. Moms are on the front lines of instructing and training their children in the things of God. And again, we we need to understand that this is a battle for the minds of our kids and our grandkids. And so we need to first model and then to teach them three things as it relates to their minds. So I've asked you to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, because the first thing that we must teach them We must teach our kids to set their minds on the things above. Notice that Paul is very clear in verse 1, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So the word set here in verse 2 means to direct one's attention to something specific. (laughs) And so uh, Kathy and I have a totally different approach as it relates to shopping. For her, it's an event. For me, it's a painful reality. So when I go to the store... I want to get in and get out. I want to see what we have to buy, look at our list, and go get those things, and then I want out. I hear some amens from the men. This is kind of the idea here in a spiritual way. So whereas I want to set my mind on the list, go in and get what we need to get and get out of there, in a spiritual sense, we're to direct our attention to something very specific, Paul says, and we're to fix our mind on it. Our goal is to set our minds on the things above, to fix in on the eternal and not the temporal, to set our sights specifically on what matters for eternity. Who's going to teach our kids this if we don't do it? Who's going to teach our grandkids this if we don't do it? Second, our kids need to be taught to dwell with their minds on the right things. So flip back just a couple of pages to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. 
The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 3 says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. The the word for dwell here in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8 is logizomai. It's an accounting term that means reality check. And so the reality check is that if our kids have no parameters and they can watch whatever they want and they can put into their minds whatever they want, what do we think is going to happen? What do we think is going to happen? And even as adults, if we dwell on the wrong things, we will no doubt be affected by those very same things. And so moms and parents in general, we need to be willing to be the bad guy or the bad gal with our kids and scrutinize what we allow to go in their minds. Carte blanche access to the internet is a train wreck. We need to be on top of what we're putting, allowing our children to put into their minds. And as a parent of a public school student, we need to know firsthand what's going on in the classroom. What are these people saying to my kids? Same thing in a Christian school. We need to know. We're responsible for what goes into the minds of our kids. So read Scripture with them. Get them some good books from our bookstore. Because if we want our kids to practice these things, verse 9, they must first dwell on them. Third, our kids need to be taught to renew their minds. Renew their minds. Romans chapter 12, if you would turn back there, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says this, and do not be conformed to this world, and we'll talk about that in a moment, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The word renewing is, is only used twice in the New Testament. It's used here in Romans 12, 2, and in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, which says, He saved us not on the basis uh, of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And so to renew means a complete and total renovation a makeover. You all know me well enough to know that uh, I mainly watch sporting events on television. I watched the Kentucky Derby yesterday. I don't know if that's a sporting event, but I watched that. The horse that was least likely to win won the Kentucky Derby. While I was watching the Kentucky Derby, my wife was faithfully watching the Magnolia Network on our other television, and they have all of these programs about these makeover shows where they go into this house and they see all the things that need to be done, and then they are made over. And I watch that with her sometimes, and it's amazing what happens. This is kind of what Scripture says as it relates to this idea of renewing our minds. How does, how does that happen in a spiritual sense? 
Well, it happens in a spiritual sense when our minds are fixated or fixed on the Word of God. You see, the Holy Spirit changes our thinking. He gives us a a makeover. We're renewed through the saturation of God's Word in our lives. And so in this battle for the minds of our children, we need to be involved in what they put into their minds. Thirdly, the, the third goal of every Christian mother should be to bring discipline in the life of her children. Proverbs 29 and verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. And so, again, big picture here, it's difficult to read the Scriptures and not come to the understanding that the Christian life is a battle. The Apostle Paul describes the Christian life as a wrestling match with the powers of darkness. He told his dear son in the faith, Timothy, to fight the good fight. He called his friend Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. I enjoy history. I always have. I've also enjoyed learning about battles that our country has engaged in over the years. As a country, we've been actively engaged in numerous serious battles over the years. And one of those battles was the Korean War, which took place from 1950 to 1953. My grandfather fought in the Korean War. And it's interesting because he fought in the Korean War. I wanted to learn more about it. And if you study the Korean War, there was this controversy over whether some of the prisoners who were captured by the Chinese were actually brainwashed into giving them certain confessions. In fact, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the subject of mind control became popularized during the Korean War. And the dictionary says that the earliest known English language usage of the term brainwashing was in an article by newspaperman Edward Hunter in the Miami News published in 1950, October 7, 1950. Of course, now the term brainwashed is used all the time. People say, well, you've just been brainwashed. What they're saying is your mind has been changed by an outside force. It's not how you used to think. Something or someone has influenced you to change your mind. Folks, I feel like things are getting more sobering for us. Uh, I read a newspaper article just yesterday, I believe, that there's this effort now by uh, certain groups to go to churches and to picket out in front of the churches those who would embrace biblical teaching as it relates to um, the birth of unborn children. And so I had a little talk this morning with our safety team And I said, just keep an eye out. I don't suspect that that's going to happen today at our church. But if it does, uh, we, we want to be kind. We want to share the love of Christ with people that may not agree with us. And they may be militant in their disagreement with us as it relates to what the Bible teaches about these issues. But we are Christians. Look, we hold fast to the Word of God. We hold fast to the Word of God. No one's going to change our thinking as it relates to God's Word. God's Word is true. It's from God. 
and we believe it, and we will live it out as his people, right? But we also are living in this world where the vast majority of the people do not believe the same things that we believe. And so we want to be loving and kind and firm with those people. This is what God's Word says. This is what we believe. We love you. We want you to know the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'll see what happens with all of this. As I started out this morning, our children are growing up in a completely different world that we grew up in. The great thing is that as Christians, we have a roadmap. We were talking just the other day in our home. Allison was asking, Dad, before GPS, how did you know how to get places? <laughs> Think about it. We are so used to GPS. Like, we want to know how to get somewhere. We just plug it into our GPS and we can get there, right? She goes, I remember when I was a little girl, you used to have an atlas, a big atlas, like one like this, that, and I would look at that thing to try to navigate where we needed to go. We have God's Word, and I am completely satisfied that we have everything that we need for life and godliness right here in God's Word. And so we speak the truth in love to people. But we speak the truth. We need to care more about what God thinks than what other people think. And so we need to realize and be uh, have an understanding, our eyes wide open, that there are enemies of the Christian. In fact, the Bible speaks of three different enemies of the Christian. Satan and his demons, the world system that's operated by Satan, and as we spoke about last week, our own flesh. As it relates to Satan and his demons, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. As we know, Satan is the commander of a large host of demons who are opposed to God. They're dedicated to the task of defeating God. Ain't going to happen, but they're dedicated to the task of defeating God and all of his children. And, and it, he's compared here to, to like a lion, a hungry lion that's seeking to devour his prey. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of his darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, Satan is the leader of this spiritual battle against the Lord and his followers. And the Bible describes Satan in many ways, a deceiver, a liar, a murderer, an accuser, a tempter, a prince, an evil one, master counterfeiter, who seduces and opposes and deceives and hinders and tempts and blasphemes. And all of his efforts are directed at our minds and the minds of our children. This is what we're up against today as parents and grandparents. This is what we're up against today. Satan was at work when we were kids. 
He was just at work in a different way. And so we must recognize that he and his demons are our enemies and they're out to make gains as it relates to their cause. The second enemy of the Christian is the world system, and this is closely tied to Satan. First John chapter 5 and verse 19 says that we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First John 2.15 says that God's people are not to love the world nor the things in the world. In fact, James chapter 4 and verse 4 says that to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. It's because the world that's described by John and James is this world system that's in opposition to God, orchestrated by Satan himself. So we're not to love the world, and we're not to love the things in the world. And so the first enemy that we have is Satan and his demons. The second is the world system. And then the third, and we talked about this much last week when we looked at Romans chapter 6, the, the third enemy of the Christian is our own flesh. So I talked about the bumper stickers, right? The devil made me do it. Well, we can't blame the devil for everything. Galatians 5.17 says, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. So our real, really our biggest enemy is our own flesh, our own fleshly desires, And this ongoing battle that we have in our life between the flesh and the spirit, it's real. And where does it originate? In the mind. And so at the heart of why this subject is so important is the admonition in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, where it says in part, for as a man thinks within himself, so is he. And so our minds feed our actions. And so I'm trying to make the case This morning, as we move along in our message, I'm trying to make the case that the battle is real. It's a battle for the minds of us and our kids as we live in the world system. And the responsibility that we have as God's people, whether we're a parent, a grandparent, or we don't have children, our responsibility is to know these things and not to give in to our enemies. And so, as we finish up today, I want to share with you five truths to teach our children. Five truths to teach our children. And and as you hopefully have seen as we've kind of gone through this, you know, we're speaking to the heart of a Christian mother. Our moms are uh, so precious to us. Our moms are the ones that care for us. Our moms are the ones that love us. Our moms are the ones that we can go to in our time of need. God's greatest gift, perhaps, to us as people are mothers. So, when we think about this, it applies to us but we want to encourage our moms today. And so five truths to teach our children. And I've sort of highlighted these with five key words to remember. And the first word to remember is invest. Invest. So we start with ourselves. We need to personally make a major investment reading and studying God's Word so that we can know it when sinful thoughts enter our, our minds. And then 
we need to encourage our kids to make the same investment. I don't know if this would be true of you, but if I remember back, I went through a WANA program when I was a child, and I, I've memorized a lot of Scripture over the years, and you have too, probably. But as I think back in my life, the formative years of my life, I memorized a lot of Scripture because there were people that cared about me and my soul and they, in, they introduced me to, to, to the Lord and through Scripture. And so many of the, the Bible verses that I have memorized, I memorized as a child when I, was, when I was just a young kid, even before I was saved. And so if I quote a Bible verse, most of the time I quote it in the King James because that's the Bible that I had when I was a kid. This is a formative time for us. So we're all investors, right? We all invest in others. We invest in our families. We invest in our church family. We invest in people that we're around all the time. And we invest in our kids. We invest in our grandkids. So how can we best invest in their lives? By bringing them along, teaching them the Word of God, and encouraging them to know God's Word. You know, if we know the Bible, at least I've found this to be true in my life, I'd love to be able to hear some stories from you about this as well. But there have been many a time in my life where I have been right up against whether I'm going to sin or not, just to be honest. And because of the investment of my mom, my dad, people that love me at church, because of their investment in me with the Word of God, a Bible verse will pop into my head. And I'll be like, thank you, Lord. David said in Psalm 119 in verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. And so knowing Scripture, quoting Scripture, helps to get our minds back on track. You know, when, when Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, it's interesting how he handled it. In Matthew chapter 4, he's in the wilderness. How does he respond to Satan? <laughs> he responds to Satan with Scripture. And so if we or our kids are um, especially tempted or vulnerable as it relates to specific sins like worry or lust or anger or whatever it may be, it'd be a good thing to study and to memorize key passages about those things. I remember as a kid, my mom would, would have note cards on our refrigerator with Bible verses. And so we'd have like a Bible verse a week. And so every time we'd go by the refrigerator, I would see the Bible verse. And that was one of the ways that I memorized Scripture over time. Just a little thing that my mom did. Just a little push in the right direction. If you knew my mom, she was very quiet. She was very reserved. She was very kind. She didn't talk a lot. But she was very intentional with us as her kids. And so we need to think about situations. We need to teach our kids to think about situations and what they're going to do before they are in them and predetermine 
what they would do. And this was a tremendous help for me. This practical thing that I just shared with you was a huge thing in my life growing up. And I still do this. I still do this. And I don't know if I should share this or not, but I'm going to. When I was a youth pastor, I was up in my office and the pastor, the senior pastor, I'm 21 or 22 years old. Way too young to be a youth pastor. But I was and um, didn't even think a thing about it. I was up in my office one day and I was putting together some things for our youth. And a gal in the church came up the steps. My office was upstairs. She came up the steps and she was very inappropriate. Let's put it that way. Very inappropriate. And so I had thought about this. If this ever happened to me, if this ever happened to me, and somebody was inappropriate in my presence, what am I going to do? Because I had thought about that so many times, and when that happened, I was still a little bit shocked by it, didn't expect it, had no idea it was going to happen. But because I had thought about that so many times, I immediately took her down to the office of the pastor and told him exactly what happened in my office. And she sang in church on Sunday. And that was all I needed. That was all I needed to know about that church. And so it wasn't long before I decided that was not going to be the church that I wanted to be a part of especially in the role that I was in. And I had built relationship with those people. I had built relationships with those kids, and I loved them. Our kids are going to be put in situations that even we were not put in as young kids. And so let me encourage you to talk about situations with your kids. If you are in this situation, here's how you respond it will make a lot of difference in the lives of your kids. They're facing things we never faced. And so we need to invest in them. The second key word is rely. If we are relying upon our own strength in the battle for our minds, we will fail. We will fail. We need to teach our kids to rely on the power of Christ who is in us depending upon the Holy Spirit of God, asking Him to give us the strength to live righteously. Third key word, avoid. Avoid. And this is rather obvious, but it's amazing how often people miss this principle. Overcoming temptation often requires radical measures. Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30 says, if your right hand causes you to sin cut it off. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If you have a propensity towards alcoholism, don't drive by the bar on your way home from work. Think about what's going to please God. Avoid 
doing the things that could push you towards sin. And these are the things that we need to teach our kids. We need to teach our kids not to feed their lusts. We're to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We, we all need to avoid placing things before our eyes and ears that will cause us to sin. Job 31 and verse 1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? Romans 13 and verse 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I knew a ministry leader that was very popular and uh, had a very large ministry. And he was in charge of a lot of churches and um, he was a friend of mine. And so we would talk often. And he told me that when he travels, which he traveled a lot, he told me when he travels, he doesn't stay in hotels. This is a guy that people look to as a leader, a spiritual leader. And they may think, wow, is he weak? Why doesn't he stay in hotels? Well, he doesn't stay in hotels because he doesn't want the temptation to turn on a channel on the television that could put something before his eyes that he doesn't want to see. And so he always wanted the accountability of staying in homes when he traveled. And I've thought about that for years and years and years. And I have respect for him because of that. Not because I think, well, maybe he's weak in that area, and so should he have been in that position? That's what some people would think. But he's just like us. He struggles with real things like we struggle with. And he knew his weaknesses. He didn't want to put these things before his eyes. And so he wanted the accountability of staying in the homes of people that he would visit. These are the kinds of things that we need to think about. We need to teach our kids to avoid going down certain paths. And I remember as a youth, I remember as a young kid and even into my high school years, even into my college years, I remember not doing things because my parents had talked to me about things. I remember, and some of it, I'll be honest with you, I can't take a whole lot of spiritual credit. Sometimes it was fear because I was afraid if I did something that my parents would find out about it, they'd be disappointed in me or angry with me. But it was because of their investment in my life. So I didn't do any of the seven deadly sins when I was growing up. I didn't do any of them. I don't want to have religious pride about that because I wasn't even a believer most of the time. What I want you to, to see and to hear from my words is that my parents took the time to invest in my life. And it paid off in a lot of ways. So we need to avoid exposing our eyes and our ears to things that are not going to help us in the Christian life. And we need to do the same for our kids. And by the way, while I'm on the subject, we need to scrutinize who our kids hang out with. I know it sounds like a novel idea, but we did this. Hey, Dad, I'm going down to... No, you're not. Why, why can't I hang out with John? Because Johnny's not good for you. But... Nope. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, bad company corrupts good morals. 
And so parents, be careful who you let your kids hang out with. I could be wrong, but what I think I'm seeing today is a lot of parents who are more interested in being the buddy of their kids than being their parent. It's bothersome. It's bothersome. We're in a battle. We're in a battle. So we must teach our kids the things of God. Fourth, seek. Key word, seek. We're all to seek hard after God and to put into practice the principle of replacement. I was just speaking with somebody about this this past week. Ephesians chapter 4 Often in counseling, I will talk about the principle that's there in Ephesians 4 about putting off sin and putting on righteousness. But if we just put off things and don't put on things to replace them, godly things to replace them, then there's going to be a void. And so in parenting, we can say, no, no, you can't watch that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't uh, hang out with those people, but we must work hard to, to replace those things with things that are good and profitable in the lives and the hearts of our kids. Satan would love to fill the void. And then finally, keyword value. Keyword value. We need to teach our children the value of the church. If my parents did anything right, and by the way, you know, I speak of my parents often. It's a good thing. I have good, good memories of my parents. They weren't perfect. And nor were, Kath, nor were Kathy and I perfect as parents. Certainly not. But the one thing, if, if they taught me anything, big picture, it's the value of the church. Words are empty. If they would say, hey, Dave... There's a lot of value in the church. But then they didn't exhibit it in their own life. They were unbelievable examples to me of the value of the church. Unbelievable. To the point where, I mean, if the door was cracked open, if it was unlocked, we were there. I mean, you want to talk about a commitment to the local church. Sunday morning, Sunday school, two hours Sunday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, well, Thursday night was calling. We would go door to door and we would tell people about Jesus. And then on, on Fridays, we would have youth events. Saturdays, we'd have youth events. And then we do it all over the next week. And you know what? I loved it. That's what I knew. That's what I knew. I made a conscious decision. And this was, this was another thing that my parents taught me. I made a conscious decision not to make my best friends the people that I went to school with. Those were the guys that I played baseball with. These are the guys I played basketball and football with. Those are the guys that I hung out with during the school uh, day. And that was good, and I wanted to be an influence in their life. But I didn't want to hang out with them on the weekends and go to the parties with all them and hear all these different things. I mean, Monday morning at school, drama, drama, drama. Did you hear what happened at the parties? No, and I don't care. I chose 
Because my parents invested in my life, I chose to make kids that didn't like sports my best friends. And I hung out with those guys on the weekends. They're still my friends to this day. I talk to them all the time. I love these guys. We, iron sharpens iron. We have sharpened each other our whole life. Teach your kids the value of the church. I'm telling you. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to encourage one another in the things of God. And it's the church where we're going to get this teaching from God's Word. I am so grateful. We, we had our men's breakfast yesterday morning. I was so proud of Travis Wash, who shared yesterday. We've had four or five different guys in our church share on Saturday mornings with our men. They're steeped in the Word of God. They're wanting desiring to raise their kids to know Christ. I, wouldn't, I didn't want to be anywhere else in the world yesterday than there. There's a battle going on. There's a battle going on. And it's in the life of every believer. And it's in the life of our kids. And it's a battle for our minds. So what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? We must know it first. I think we do. And we must be diligent in the lives of our kids and our grandkids, first modeling it in our own lives. We have no moral authority at all to tell our kids to do certain things if we're not doing them. Right? And so we're in a battle. The great thing for us is that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. Being a mom... What a, what a blessing it is, but it comes with sober responsibilities. All of us have a responsibility to our Savior. So I mentioned as we began today, this was a message to speak to the heart of a Christian mother, and I believe this is the heart of our, of our moms in our church. I'm telling you stuff you already know, but I want to encourage you. We're in this together. We're in this together. So grateful for our church. I'm grateful for our moms. I'm grateful for our families. I'm grateful for those who care about what God says more than what the world says. We have a great opportunity with all of the crazy things that are going on in the world today. It's getting dark. It's getting really dark. We can shine the light of Christ in the darkness. The darker it gets, the brighter the light will shine. So we'll see what happens with all this stuff. We'll see what happens. But we know there's a battle, and we're on the right side, and we want to be faithful to our God through it all. In our families, in our spheres of influence, 
in our neighborhoods, wherever it may be. God, use us to be your ambassadors in this life, this world. Lord, we thank you today. We we know that this is just a day that is set aside with a title of Mother's Day, but really every day should be Mother's Day, Father's Day, People Day, where we see the value of relationships. We see the value of the relationships that you put us in, and we're grateful for uh, all of that. But we, we know that, that, that we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. And so I pray for each of our families that are here today. We love them, and we know there are challenges. We could do all the right things, and our children just reject our teaching. But we want to be faithful. We want to be faithful in all of that. We want to please you with our lives. We thank you that you've given us your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who saved us from our sin. You've given us your spirit to transform our lives. You've given us your word so that we may be renewed in it each and every day. And with all the mantras that are, we're facing in the world today, all of these different things that people are coming up with, Lord, thank you for your word. Thousands of years prior to these things being so popular, your word's already spoken to them. And so may we be anchored there in this life. We thank you again for our church. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for their testimonies among us. We thank you most of all for your son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.